Good evening and welcome to another edition of the GOAT Zoom Room. I'm Andy Villanueva, Caitlin Free, and our special guest tonight is Black Jack Fletcher of My Action Network, of ABR, of playing anything and everything you possibly can, and he's an ambassador for Stable Duel. Um, you got a lot of stuff going on in your plate. It's a busy weekend with Fountain of Youth, and I'm glad that we could take a few minutes to talk to Blackjack today and just discuss everything in general. How you doing, Blackjack? Shining like a diamond and rolling with the dice, my friend. <laughs> how's, uh, how's it? What, what's, what have you seen that's changed as far as like social media within the last five years when it comes to Twitter and, you know, Facebook and, and any other social media streams that have kind of either helped you or hurt you? Well, I think that's twofold, right? I mean, without it, I'm not here. Without it, I'm practicing criminal defense in a courtroom somewhere. Um, <laughs> but the flip side to it is it's made people a hell of a lot more willing to be mean to each other. I mean, I, I'm always astounded just scrolling through Twitter at just how mean people are to people they've never met before. It's amazing to me. I think, I think it's so funny that you mentioned that because there's like two, two different styles, right? It's the thick skinned people that don't care what is said. Um, you know, like myself, I could care less what anybody says about me. Swift hitter doesn't care. Uh, Barshu doesn't care. And I mean, I know you know those two characters, but then there are other people like Andy Serling who the minute that he gets upset at you, he blocks you. And it's yeah. like, dude, just, just put them on mute or just ignore them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm with you to a certain extent. Like I think I've only blocked like five people. Like I don't block people unless you say something that is just so far over the line that like, it's, it's, you know, it's gotta go. But like, you might hate me, but if you're responding, you're still listening to me. And at the end of the day, that's all I care about. So I, you know, whatever, man, if I'm not your cup of tea. That's cool. Just keep drinking it. Caitlin. Where'd you get your jacket? Amazon. <laughs> this is an Amazon original. I had to ask because it's so beautiful. It is. I know it's great. I'm trying to figure out, I got to figure out what I'm going to wear to the Fountain of Youth on Saturday. Um, we got a few options. So I guess my first question before we get into really any of the good racing stuff is like, where does your fashion sense come from? Like, I know like when you're practicing in your law practice, like you're like super clean cut, don't get to do all that stuff. So like, <laughs> what is the persona? It's always been, I mean, it's been there, right? Like, I mean, even as a lawyer, I would dress a little bit more, uh, a, a little bit louder than most would, you know, I mean, I was always very comfortable wearing pinks and purples and, you know, the occasional lime green. I was, I was comfortable with that. You know, I would wear shoes that sparkled or, you know, had sequins. It didn't, I, it, I didn't, I didn't hate it. And the cowboy hat's been a thing for a while. So, um, you know, that stuff, I never shied away from it. You know, Caitlin, life is just too damn short to be boring just is have some fun it is 100 your brand i i love it so why why racing why not something else i mean I, listen i i do other things and i love other stuff i love hockey uh you know i love football but but anytime anyone will ask me about like gambling or stuff like that 
a horse racing to me is, is how it all started for me. Like my grandfather was a degenerate gambler. And I say that in the most loving way possible. Um, and he would take me to aqueduct in Belmont, like five years old and teach me how to read a racing form. And like, you know, give me $2 to go and bet some nag in the third race at aqueduct on a January day, you know, like that. So horse racing to me is like, you know, I, my, my dad and my grandfather took me to the track when I was a little kid. Like, you know, I remember we drove on a family vacation, like four hours out of the way one year to see cigar run. Like, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just kind of like been part of growing up. Okay. The, the funny thing is, is I think we've interviewed like for three, what, like this is going into our third month that we've done this podcast. <laughs> and I think everybody says the same thing. It's either my grandfather, my dad, my mom, all took me to the track when we were younger. Mm-hmm. Right. And the one thing that I've noticed is that, and this is just in general, families don't go to the track as much as they used to go. Yeah. It's, a, it's really, really a shame. It is. And it's, it's, I mean, a bigger problem in our sport um, as a whole. Because I always say this to people, and Caitlin, you're probably a, a you know someone who can understand this uh, even better than than Andy. But like any time I've taken women in particular to a racetrack who have never been there before, I've never had one not enjoy it. It's just not something that people think to do nowadays. Like unless you're yeah. involved with the sport, it it isn't top of your of your mind. But any time I've gone with someone, they've had a great time. I know that, like for me, I always tell the story to a lot of people. When when I was eighteen, I was I went to Hollywood Park. I was working at Disneyland, and I had a date with this girl. And I'm like, "Hey, let's go to the racetrack. Let's have some fun. We'll bet horse. We'll bet horse racing." We went out like on a Friday or Saturday, and she didn't know anything about horse racing. And I'm mm-hmm. like, "Okay, here's what I want you to do: three dollar pick, three pick." a horse in the first horse in the second horse in the third. And she picked the three winners and the pick three paid something like $30,000. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you absolutely kidding me? First time out of the gate. I know two of the horses were cool gold mood. And one of them was once more for the road. Did she at least pick up dinner for the, for you that night? No, I never saw her again. (laughs) She was gone. She quit Disneyland. This girl won $30,000 on a first date and still wouldn't see you a second time. Man, you must be a lousy date. (laughs) She was like, peace. Come on. So I'm like, whatever, man. It's fine. It's no big deal. So I I no longer take first dates to the racetrack. And I'm married now, so I don't have to worry about that. So, Do you think your wife would peace out on you if she won $30,000? Um, uh, yeah, probably. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> wow, this is, this is taking a depressing turn. <laughs> no, actually, I took the Breeders' Cup a couple years, um, at Santa Anita, the Beholder year, and she basically, um, I thought she would be, like, really into it because her family used to go to, um, Manor Downs in, outside of Austin. And Where? Manor Downs, outside of Austin. And it's quarter horse track. Okay. I'm like, okay, you can go to Breeders' Cup. We've been married for like three years. This will be awesome. And she, the minute we got there, she's like, 
where's the iPad? I want to watch Texas A&M play. And that's what she did the entire, the entire race day was watch football. Because she just can't sit through 45 minutes of dead time just for two minutes. And that's, yeah. that's a big problem during big days. So I, I noticed that you're, you're, you kind of do the horse racing stuff. Mm-hmm. But I've noticed, and I really like it, that you do a lot of hockey. Yeah. And I'm a I big do. hockey guy. I love the Kings. I've been a Kings fan since, like, I was four. What attracts you to hockey as far as the betting angle is concerned? Uh, well, first, I think that, that hockey is, uh, is the best sport to watch live in person. It's, it's okay. an unbelievable sport in person. You don't really capture it on television the same way you do when you're in the rink. But um, as far as gambling goes, I just think you get different. There are more ways to bet it, right? Like in, in a football game, sure, you can bet against the point spreader. You can bet the money line. But, you know, those have challenges of their own. In hockey, the money lines are there. Then you can lay the puck line if you want to do that. Or you can bet a team just to win in regulation. You can bet game totals, team totals. There's just a lot of different angles. And I feel like if you watch teams long enough, you know, there's a certain style of play that they want to play and how they'll match up with each other. I think you can get an edge. Also, just not as many people bet it. So the numbers don't move as easily. What other, what other uh, sports do you, do you gamble on and, and what angles do you use as far as that's concerned? I mean, listen, you, you, to, to, uh, to ask that question is to know me as a human being. I do everything in life based on feel. Okay. I'm not an analytics person. I'm not going to sit here and and tell you there's an algorithm that can predict the winner of a basketball game because I don't believe there is, but, uh, I, I do most things in life based on what feels right. So that's how I bet. I mean, I'll take whatever information I can get, but ultimately the decision is going to, it's going to come from my fantastic brain. Do you, do you find, and I know Caitlin's going to jump in here in a second, um, do you find that nowadays there's way too much information as far as professional sports leagues are concerned compared to where they were maybe 10, 15 years ago to where it kind of makes it harder to figure it out? I think there's a lot of information over the last 10 or 15 years in pretty much every area of life that we've just made up. Um, like, you know, you can watch a basketball game now and then look at a box score and it'll show points, rebounds, assists, fouls, you know, things like that. And then it's going to show you a bunch of things with a little X in front of it that I don't know what that is. Right. Like, I, I don't know what those things are. And I've been watching basketball for as long as I can remember. You know, I, I don't know. So I feel like we're making stuff up. And it's almost one of those things where you you start with a premise and then you find a way to get facts to support it. I don't know, man. I don't, I don't need to do that. You know what I mean? Like I can, I can, I can watch the NBA and I can say, okay, when LeBron and Anthony Davis are on the floor together, no one's beating the Lakers. Got it. Like I I'm good with that. So all that information is so accessible with other sports. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it's not widely accessible for racing? I mean, everything costs money if you want to see anything. Yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of that comes back to, um, a big problem with this sport that we all love uh, so much is that there's no centralized control in this, right? So when you're dealing with sports like the NFL and the NBA, you have one body that is negotiating contracts and negotiating the flow of information and is handling all of this. We don't have that in racing. I mean, 
you know, we've got, we've got, you know, one group of people over here, another over here, you know, it, it, there's no central control. There's no uniformity in it. And, and what that creates is a scenario where everyone's interests are disaligned with each other, right? Because my concern is me and my racetrack and my races, as opposed to the sport as a whole, you know? And I think that's, that's the biggest thing you see in this sport the only other example I can give you of it is boxing. I mean, it's the same thing in boxing, right? The, the, the sport doesn't govern itself unilaterally. You've got six different organizations and they're all doing their own thing that they think is best for them. But in the end, kind of comes back to bite you sometimes. So I know a lot of it also is we don't have a lot of young people in the sport. Mm-hmm. And there's, it's, I mean, it's like a, it's an old white guy sport. How, mm-hmm. how, how, <laughs> how do we change that? The one thing that I think horse racing does better than almost any other sport is making big days feel like big days, right? Like when you go out to the racetrack and it's obviously all pre COVID, but like, I, I remember going to the Haskell, you know, at Monmouth and it's a big day, but you know, it's not the breeders cup. It's not the Kentucky Derby, but you had people there you know, dressed up, everyone was having a great time. You know, it's a beautiful day outside. I think that we need to do a little bit more of selling those experiences, you know? And the other thing, Caitlin, and I I guess I understand it from a certain perspective, horse racing markets itself as a sport that is geared towards millionaires. And there are certainly a lot of them involved, but you don't have to be a millionaire to be involved in the sport. And I feel like it almost excludes people intentionally by, you know, marketing itself in this lavish way when that's not necessarily true. I mean, Andy, I, I've been down to Sam Houston. You know, I just I just got my first racehorse last week. OK, this is a Penn National shipper. OK, this is not an expensive proposition. All right. You know, you don't have to have millions of dollars to get involved in this and have some fun. You know, it used to be, it used to be back in the day when, when I was on the racetrack and, and working for like Mandela and, and Jude Feld and all this, people, people were more interested in getting those John Henry type horses, cool gold mood, all these, all these smaller numbered money horses, because they could show people that it took $7,500 to buy cool gold mood to make them into a great stakes sure. winner. Right now, it's like, well, we got authentic for one million dollars, and he's a triple. He, he won a triple crown race. You know what? I'm happier being in a claiming game like you are, because you at least are having fun. It's not a business. It's just something to do, brother. If I if I can get this thing across the finish line first one time, I will get the picture. I will blow it up as big as they will let me blow it up. And I will put it on the largest wall in my home. That's all I want out of this. That's literally it. If I have that, it'll be one of the greatest days of my life. Now, I know that you're talking about the whole making it into millionaires and, and yeah. making it into a big deal. You know, the one the one thing that really frustrates me is like, uh, you know, the recent thing with Gulfstream Park with Pegasus where they were promoting the race and it seemed like everybody was in their mid twenties and mm-hmm. drinking Cristal. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, when I was in my mid twenties, I definitely wasn't drinking Cristal. 
I basically was wearing probably a t-shirt and well where were you living in your mid-20s oh I was living at at Santa Anita 99 I mean listen that's Miami bro you know I mean you're in Miami that that's the Miami life I lived in Miami for a bit. That's, you know, that's Miami. I, I listen, I, th- I get what you're saying, but I think that Gulfstream, particularly with the Pegasus, does a good job of trying to make it feel like something that younger people are interested in. You know, I think that that's the goal there. And listen, I'm not going to fault anyone for trying at this point, because I think there's a lot of people in our sport that are just content not to try. So I'm not going to fault them for for trying to get a younger crowd out, even if it is just for, you know, uh, that day. Yeah, and I know they do a lot of the music and try mm-hmm. to get a lot of people involved. So, I mean, I, I certainly agree with that. Um, but there's just so much with young people, minorities, and I mean, it's just something that's so tough for racing. And I mean, I think we can just tape as, take as much help as we can get. Yeah, and at the end of the day, it's fun, right? Like a day at the racetrack is a fun day in almost any circumstance. I mean, unless it's buckets of rain coming down. I mean, it, usually it's a fun time, right? So just promote that. I mean, let people know this is a good time. You know, let's sit down and hang out outside, watch these beautiful animals, maybe make some money, have some drinks, and it's an easy day, you know? So do you... So, go ahead, okay. Andy. Okay, go ahead. Nope, go. I was going to change the topic completely. Go for it. Oh, I was just going to ask him, do you, feel that, do you feel that it would be a good idea to... Um, Present it as a game, like Andy Asaro says, you know, present it as a game of chance, uh, as a game of skill to pe- to bring people in or just, hey, let's have some fun and enjoy it. Place a $2 wager, enjoy yourself, get a beer and all that. No, it's always going to be the latter. It's not, I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, and I don't know, Andy, but uh, I don't, saying that this is a game of skill is going to make this inaccessible to a great percentage of the population. Okay, because Caitlin, you touched on this a few minutes ago about the information uh, aspect of the sport. It's not the easiest sport to become fluent in the language in. It takes some work uh, and it takes some time. And if you're going to tell people that, um, you know, that's going to be your your level of enjoyment is going to be derived from your level of skill. I think it's going to turn a lot of people off. The experience to me is what this sport should sell. The 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 event feel of it, because I think we do that better than anybody else, you know, come out for a day at the track, have some fun, maybe win some money, but you know what? It doesn't take a lot of money to have fun at a racetrack. You know, you can bring 50 bucks and have fun for a day and maybe you win a few bucks. Maybe you don't, but you know what? You at least got some action. You got some excitement and you had a nice time. I think Keeneland with a lot of the college scene markets that very, very well. Keeneland does it great. Andy, Sam Houston. Sam Houston does a sorority night uh, on Friday nights, and they had a ton of young people out there. It's, and I can't tell you how many of them were coming over and saying, hey, can you show me how to use the auto tote? You know, what what does this kind of bet mean? Like, people will get into it if you get them in the door. And, and yeah, Kaylee, you're right. Keeneland, especially, you know, that spring meet, they do, they do a great job of bringing out the universities. So now that you're an owner, I have mm. to ask if you could choose any jockey to ride your horse, any trainer to train your horse with unlimited funds, who are you going with? Well, I'm going with the current trainer I have, Kent Sweezy. Obviously, I can't change that. Kent's my guy. Love Happy that. birthday. Um, 
my rider is an easy one. I've been trying to figure out a way if I can get him over to Tampa when this thing eventually runs. It's Paco. Paco's my guy. I love Paco Lopez dearly. Um, and, and the reason for that is very simple. You will never watch a Paco Lopez race and say, I wish he rode him a little harder. I got shortchanged on this one. Not Paco. Paco's going to do whatever he can. So, uh, yeah, I would, I would love to have Paco come over to Tampa and ride her, ride her for a day. It literally seems like that could be so doable for everybody. I know. I, I've got, I've got, when I go to Gulfstream Saturday, I got I to gotta talk to him. I got to see like, if I can get him over there. <laughs> please, 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 please. Well, he rides for Kent at Gulfstream. So I'm like, ah, you know, I know it's Tampa, but maybe. You know, I really, I really um, like how Kent's built up his brand. Um, yeah. You know? Because again, Andy, I think he gets it, right? He's a younger guy, and I think he gets like the value of all of this. And you know, it's again, it's fun, right? So so make it fun. Make it make yourself accessible to people. You know, like he when I was bringing this horse down to Tampa, he was the first name that popped into my head because he's friendly. You know, he'll talk to you. And there are some people in in the horse racing that are a little, you know quieter than that i'll say maybe less communicative i think i mean i've heard from ken every day i think the one thing that um that is different in horse racing than any other place is the fact that a lot of times if they haven't grown up with you or they don't know you from somewhere else they won't spend time to talk to you yeah and, you know, I've been lucky. I've been, I've been in this game for 40 years in some aspect, either, you know, my sister rode, I was a jockey agent. I was a blood, I'm bloodstock agent. Now, um, you know, I do this on the side. Um, you know, I used to hot walk. I used to be running a farm for Arabian racing. I mean, I've done every little aspect of it. And if you don't know certain people, they will not give you the time of day. And I've seen it a thousand times. And it's a shame because sometimes people just want to pick somebody's brain to see whether or not it's worth going and watching racing. Right. So what what are you going to do? Is this like something where you want to do it like you want to get more horses or is this just a one-time deal? Listen, I've always wanted to do it. I've toyed around with it. In fact, the closest I came was down at Sam Houston because I love the Texas circuit. Um, but COVID kind of threw a curveball into all that because, you know, it's not easy to fly between States now and do all this, but um, this was a special circumstance. I can't thank the people of Bush racing stables enough. Uh, they gave me this horse for free, which okay. normally would indicate a real problem, but it's not. She and I just have had a, you know, I, I'm a criminal defense lawyer. This horse's name is guilty with an excuse Every time I've bet her, she's finished second. Uh, she's cost me a great many tickets. And so Dave Bush, gentleman that he is, said, uh, you know, if you want her, you can have her, you know, have some fun with her down in Tampa. And I said, sure. So we had a van set up to bring her down a few days later. Um, yeah, I'd eventually like to keep it going. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see how this experience goes. <laughs> That's awesome. What's your favorite track to go to? Um, I mean, you know, what are the language rules here? Am I allowed to curse? 
Sure. Uh, yeah. And, and no bullshit. Sam Houston is my favorite racetrack. It is. <laughs> I, I, it really is. I love Sam Houston. It, and can I tell you, when we were sent there for the first time, I had probably never bet Sam Houston. I Googled it and I'm like, oh shit, this is going to be bad. Like, I, <laughs> this does not, gonna, this does not look great. And we got there and I, think I extended the trip three times. Um, like those, the people there, Dwight and Chris and Frank were the best. The food is some of the best racetrack food I've ever eaten. And it is wild. Like the buffet, the buffet is literally like restaurant quality food. And I'm not talking the golden corral. Like it's good, good food. The drinks are inexpensive and plentiful. You know, they've got really good turf racing there, which is is something that, again, I don't know that I expected going into Sam Houston, but the turf track is fantastic. I love it. I really do. I, I love the racetrack. My favorite place to watch a race is Santa Anita, um, just because I've never seen a racetrack more beautiful than that. I'm a big fan of Gulfstream, but if you told me I could have one, I'm, I'm going to Sam Houston. Yeah. Wow. And I'll and I'll be honest with you. I grew up on the Santa Anita circuit. I always thought it was kind of cool to see the mountains and then go to Del Mar and see the ocean. Um, but what they do at Sam Houston is something completely different. It's so refreshing to see how they are as far as like a, a community and and the people that run that place think player first and fan yeah. first. Yeah. Um, I love Keeneland. I I cannot get enough of Keeneland. I mean, Agreed. I mean, listen, and anybody, we all love Keeneland. We all love Saratoga. You know what I mean? Like those places are great. Um, you know, I, I can't say enough about Keeneland. You, you go into Keeneland and you feel like, okay, this is what horse racing is supposed to be. Um, but I, I, I just have a, a real big soft spot for Sam Houston. I've never been there. Oh, you got to go. It's, it's a blast. I'm telling you, it's, it is such an underrated good time that like, I, I, I mean, I, I just can't say enough good things about the racetrack. Like literally when, when I went down there, I was thinking like, this is, this is not going to be the best experience at a racetrack. And then mind you, that was coming off, you know, places like Penn national and Charlestown, but um, it, it, the experience is, is fantastic. I would say probably my favorite little track like that. And it, the way you're talking about it reminds me so much of Los Al. Yeah, I think it's probably a good comparison. Um, because, I mean, Los Al has, there's a ton of crazy degens there. There's just whoever wants to go. Their food is amazing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that I, that's kind of how I relate to that in a way. So yeah, it's like just a homey kind of track. Mm-hmm. My favorite thing about Los Al is Schwanevelt. Have you been to Schwanevelt? I, I know so. I don't think Blackjack has, but you have, right, Caitlin? Yep. So Schwanevelt is at the quarter pole up in the stretch for the for uh, quarter horses. And basically anybody can go there, but they serve the best burgers because they're always it's always like perfectly cooked and the fries are great and racetrack. All the racetrackers just go there because it's the best place to eat. They have the and best they, food there. They they do. Forget about the Vessels Club. It's it's Schwanevelt's. <laughs> the Vessels Club's bougie anyway. 
Where do, where do you think you are in, say, 10 years, Blackjack, and where do you think the sport is also? I think I'm in the exact same spot I'm in right now, for being perfectly honest. I'm doing what I love. I've got, I'm having a good time, making some money. I'm, I'm good. I'm just going to keep rolling. Um, as far as the sport, I <sighs> – I don't know, Andy. I mean, we're in an interesting place, right? It felt like for a while we were kind of at a fulcrum point. I think we've we've backed away from that a little bit, um, which I think is probably a good thing. Um, you know, as much as this pandemic has been god awful, it has been the worst thing in the world for racing. Um, handle's been up. It's brought some more people to the table. I think. Um, you know, I, I just I'd love to see the sport just capitalize more on momentum when they've got it. You know, and, and there's nothing you can there's nothing you can do about it. You know, like it, it was a shame to see Justify not run after he won the Triple Crown. You know, I would have liked to see Tis the Law come back in the Preakness and, and go head to head with Authentic after the loss in the, in the Derby. You know, they're they're just things that you want to see as a racing fan that I feel like a lot of times we just don't get. And I understand why. I mean, listen, if I owned one of these horses, there was tens of millions of dollars on the line. You know, I don't really care what some idiot in the cowboy hat wants to see on the track. <laughs> well, Blackjack, we are super excited to have you here and we look forward to having you back on. And, you know, we appreciate your expertise and we appreciate you joining us. Anytime. Pleasure's mine. And we'll be back next week with uh, maybe CJ Johnson. Not sure yet. I'm not sure. I gotta. I gotta try to get him on. He said he was gonna come on this week, but with everything happening at at Gulfstream, it's not gonna happen this week. So it'll happen next week. It'll be somebody. Yeah. So thanks a lot for listening and watching, and we'll be back next week.